Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Nick Gaze, owner of Springboard Creative and Flip Athletic. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Use our links, whether it's in our Instagram bio or our website, divingpod.com. It is live, which is super cool. Heath, we'll talk about that a little bit. But one thing I wanted to talk about with Poolside Live and Sideline Scout is the clipping feature when you take a video there's kind of like this inner secret like club where you post a video or you see a video online and it has that little sideline scout, little uh, poolside live sticker in the bottom, right? It's like a super clear, crisp video quality. And whenever I see that little like clip, that little image, I'm like, okay, cool. They're part of the club. They're part of the crew. So you should get out there, make sure your pool is set up with the best in the business in video replay poolside live. Um, also for our newer listeners or parents, if you want to know how the sport of diving works, the numbers, the letters, how to score points, our diving 101 episode is number two of the diving pod. So go check that out if you want to get introduced or at least just a little refresher on how things work. And then our newest sponsor is Crossbar. Um, they were able to help us out and get our website live just last week at divingpod.com. Um, we're kind of starting a little bit slow. You can register just kind of gets us some e email information that we can send out newsletters in the future. Um, but the fun thing that we started doing is we are sharing articles on there from anybody who wants to write one. If you want to write one about your coach, I have someone working on a uh, underrated coach article. We have some pretty cool articles coming. All you have to do is email us that article, the title you want, and the photo you want attached with it, and we will happily share that. Aaron and I will proofread it just to make sure it's appropriate and there's nothing crazy in it. Um, if for whatever reason it wouldn't get approved, we would email you maybe what's wrong and why we're not comfortable posting it, but it's really easy to use. We were just telling Nick that it took us about a year to figure out how to edit uh, the audio and clip it. And this was pretty easy to use. I figured it out in about a couple days. So um, check, get on over to Crossbar. You can check out our website at divingpod.com and just get in touch with them. See if they can help you out. It's really good for teams. But without further ado, Nick, we're going to jump in here. Just kind of take us through your diving journey and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, not a problem. And I started to realize my journey looked a lot longer. And then I realized it's because I'm a lot older than a lot of the guests. So. <laughs> <laughs> um so I guess it really started out, you know, my brother was a swimmer in high school and I tried it and it was not for me, uh, certainly at, at that time. And then uh, later on in high school, I was like a junior, about halfway through the year, I joined the diving team and I just had a blast. It was fun jumping off the board. I was not good. I, I was probably terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like scored 115 points on six dives bad, um, you know, because I was brand new to it all. Um, but I had a lot of fun and I got really kind of hyper fixated on it and thought it was interesting. So I went to a camp that summer and learned a lot and then just worked really, really hard on my own, trying to improve my flexibility and all that kind of stuff that summer and get better and got a lot better my senior year, had a lot of fun, um, and was actually going to walk on to Ball State, uh, for John Wingfield at the time. And then he left the summer before I started college. So I was kind of, just hung out there and I still wanted to go to ball state, but, um, ended up not diving. And then I had taught lessons when I was in high school and afterwards and was training seniors and helping coach the juniors a little bit. And so I got a job coaching high school while I was in college. And I started to discover pretty quickly that I was a much better coach than I was an athlete. And, um, 
and so I just really took a liking to it and, and was doing that. And then after college, went on to work in newspapers and, and it was mainly nights. So I didn't really have an opportunity to be involved. And then, um, you know, as newspapers started to kind of die off and, and really struggle, I became miserable in my job. I just wasn't enjoying it that much. And my wife said, when were you the most happy? And I, I mean, probably barely a pause. I was like, oh, well, when I was coaching and she said, well, then let's go do that. And, you know, to have that kind of support was amazing. So I quit my job and took a $2,000 high school position while I was looking for another job and then was able to go um, join the Sun Devil Divers team. I was doing my deep water safety training and ran into Mark Briggs and some of his coaches and he had an opening at the time. And so I ended up working for a school district and coaching with them until we decided to move back to Indiana. And then uh, my wife got a job at Ball State. I knew the head swim coach, the men's coach um, from my time, you know, in college and they had an opening. And so I ended up being part-time for a couple of seasons until they made it a full-time position. And then did that until uh, 2020, end of 2020, when I uh, launched Springboard Creative and and started going that route. Awesome. So like, Nick, Heath, he, right before your follow-up, I just have to laugh. The $2,000 high school coaching position, you just, I mean, I, I feel for you, man, because us high school coaches, we we make all the big bucks. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, it's sort of like you have to put that in there because you didn't lo- leave a regular job for that. Yep, you left yep. it, you know, because you were going to do that in addition to nine other things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, Nick, the follow-up I have for you about coaching was you were very clear about you were a better coach than you were a diver. What do you think that what was that, as Bruni would say, like, what was that special sauce? What made you a better coach than you were a better diver? I think it was a couple things. One is I've always sort of loved the psychology of sport and life and, you know, working with people and understanding that kind of stuff. Um, but I think, uh, I would say personally, but I think there's definitely some some data out there to support this, is that the fact that I wasn't a great diver is what made me a better coach because it didn't come naturally. And so, you know, if you look at sometimes really elite athletes in any sport aren't great coaches because they never really had to analyze it and figure out where the flaws were and find two or three or five different ways to do something. And so when it doesn't come naturally, you have to go through that process. So it was really a you know, developing my tool bag of skills to be able to turn around and say, okay, well, okay, your pike's not great. I know what that's like. And I had to do these nine things, or you're struggling with this twisting skill. Let's work on all these different ways. So I was able to problem solve and work through stuff a lot better because I had more experience in the learning process Yeah, because it wasn't natural. Yeah. Great, great, great explanation. So we've had actually now three of the flip athletic family between Jocelyn and Kendall and now Bailey. So can you describe your role with flip athletic and what you're doing to help bring eyes to diving? Yeah. And, and thank you for having them on there. Um, So the main thing with, with flip is really about, you know, when I set out to do this was to develop a brand that not only represents everyone in the flipping community and obviously particularly divers given, you know, where my ties were, 
um, but also to support them. And I didn't want it to just be a business. I wanted it to be a business with a purpose. And so everything that we make in revenue goes right back into supporting athletes through NIL deals. Um, we do fundraisers with teams and we use those funds to help sponsor events. We've done stuff for coaches at USA Diving Meets the last couple of years um, and helping just some individual, whether it's a zone meet or an invitational and we're donating apparel or stickers or money or whatever. Um, so that that was the main thing is trying to help support that uh, through that business. And ultimately, my my big goal would be to raise enough money in you know sales to be able to create a scholarship fund that then we could help offset costs for some younger athletes that want to train but just can't really afford that and we know it's a little bit um, expensive sometimes the nature of our sport so if we can get to the point where we have enough money and we can do some grants to help fund some training for some kids i think that would be phenomenal yeah yeah i think so too i i love a lot of what you're doing with flip athletic and springboard creative just like the one thing I really loved was them, how you were doing like team of the month and spotlighting different club teams across America. I thought that was really cool. I thought just the history and the things that went into that, um, moving forward, you know, the PDCA just recently, um, did their symposium. They've done it the last two years in an Olympic year. You know, you gave a talk about the Olympic bump and what is the Olympic bump and how can people use that to their advantage coming up to this Olympic year now? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it is sort of straightforward like it sounds. It's a bump that happens immediately following the Olympics. And typically what we see with that is just, you know, you get more eyeballs on a sport and so it creates more interest. And anywhere from, you know, the days to months following, you can see a huge boost in interest. Um, but the thing that really is important is you have to be in a position to take advantage of that. And that might mean knowing that you're going to get interest, or it might mean having the infrastructure in place. Do you have enough coaches to handle the influx yeah. of 20 new kids, or do you have enough pool time or, you know, equipment or whatever the things are. So, um, in order to be ready to do that, you have to start early. And so that's why when, I was working with the PDCA on that. It was to be able to give coaches enough information with enough time to start laying out a plan on how they can be ready for that. Because, you know, we know as an Olympic sport, that's it, right? We get those four years yep. and, and that's where we're at the forefront. So you've got to really be able to, to capitalize on that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, so my next one here is in what areas do you think the USA can improve to become a consistent metal threat with the best countries in the world? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's certainly the question, you know, I think we've been asking domestically for decades, really, since since China has kind of moved into the forefront. And there's a couple things. I think the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to decide, I guess, as a country, um, or a sport is what role our main organizations are going to play within the sport and who they will serve. So that's, you know, particularly USA Diving and AAU. Um, mm -hmm. Are they grassroots? Are they focused on high level? It is really, really hard, like nearly impossible to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. And even when you look at some of the other successful NGBs with their sports, you might see 
USA Hockey and USA Youth Hockey. And they're almost two separate organizations. We don't have that. And so I think there it there's almost too much getting muddled in there and trying to be everything to everyone. Um, the second thing that I think is is really important and far less likely to be able to be impacted is that the American model is just very different from other countries. Mm -hmm. And understanding what makes the American model unique and strong in some areas is also what works against us in other areas. Um, so for example, you know, I was making some notes about how in America we're very autonomous. We're not authoritarian. We don't want to be told what to do. You know, just from working with coaches around the country, sometimes they don't want to hear your ideas. They know how to do it best or or whatever, let alone being told exactly how they have to coach or run their program yeah. or whatever. Um, so that that model gives us freedom as programs and coaches to build it how we want, to create a business, to do all those things. But it also hinders us from applying a method that is designed you know, strictly with the purpose of winning Olympic medals or international medals or whatever. Um, on the flip side, it's also why we're able to help kids go to college and use the sport because the focus isn't strictly on identifying the 30 best athletes out of 350 million. It's having some enjoyment and being able to send kids to college versus taking them out of their house at age four or five like you would in China and putting them into these systems. Um, so it is very different there. And then it's also, you know, the opposite because you go to some international um, federations and you look at what they're doing and because their college is free, because they don't have sports tied to their colleges, everybody competes in a club system so there's not necessarily the need to stay in a sport to try to get a scholarship or to do it with that intent. And so you sort of narrow the talent pool down to the very best in a different way. And again, that, that's not saying one is right or one is wrong. We might say our sport doesn't produce as many medals, but look how many educations we've produced. Yeah. And we have to be okay with that one way or the other. I, I think that's a really good perspective. So I actually had a conversation with a couple coaches about this this weekend, and it's something I just started thinking about is I wonder – I think of another Olympic sport right now lately, and that's wrestling. And I look at wrestling, and the United States is – they just won the world championships as a team. Like, we are one of the best wrestling countries in America over all the other countries, and I can't understand – and maybe it goes to your first point of what's our main organization. For wrestling, they know it's USA Wrestling. So, but it's like, how can we have this system for wrestling that does allow for freedom of how they go about things and and we can be pretty dominant on the world stage? And and I don't know, I guess I just keep coming back to how can we not figure out a way to work together towards this? Because we know we have the athletes, right? Like, I think we would all agree. We know we have the athletes to do it. It's just a matter of how do we get those athletes into those positions, yeah. And I, I mean, there is a numbers game aspect to it, certainly. Um, but, you know, we have way more people than Great Britain and they've been yep. much more successful in recent years or Australia. Um, one of the things that is is different is and this sort of goes back to the American model and capitalism mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff is, you know, if you looked at soccer, 
And we say, why can we not compete on the world stage in soccer? Yeah. Well, because our best athletes play football and basketball. For and sure. Football, because that's where the money is. Yep. And that's what we as a country somehow prioritized at some point. Um, so I think, yes, if we had less opportunities, would we have, you know, more of our best athletes in this? Potentially. Um, but again, I think there's there's just a lot about the structure from the bottom up. Yeah. wrestling actually has less college opportunity because yeah. so many wrestling teams got yep. eliminated so long ago. Yep. And so what happens is the people that stay in that sport are truly the most elite. Yep. Of it. I had, I had another thought as we were just talking and I might be off on a little bit of a tangent here, but if I'm a top level division one college coach, I'm looking at, maybe six to 10 clubs across the country that that's kind of where I want my kids to come from. That's who the people I want to recruit because I know those coaches, I know they teach the right things and it's not like other clubs are bad or, Mm -hmm. or negative. It's just, there's a handful and, and it's a, it's a smaller handful when you look at, you know, clubs across the country between AAU and USA dive. And there's a lot of clubs and there's just a small handful that in my brief you know two and a half year opinion of really taking a deep dive into this sport and and seeing what's going on that's where all the kids seem to come from and it it again it goes back to that you know way of thinking where if things are systematically in place which in those clubs obviously it is then you produce really really good high-end talent all the time And if it's kind of a free for all, sometimes you might get an incredible athlete and you have all the coaching that they need at the moment in time, but there's obviously something special and different about some of those really top club programs because they keep churning out incredible athletes. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, Aaron, one of the things that, that makes it where that is the priority is the competition model being so different in college versus an international type scene. And so what you end up having with is, you know, say you're a Texas A&M or University of Texas or whatever, and you're trying to bring kids in that can compete right away and contribute as a freshman. You don't have two, three, four years to finish developing them all the way for the purpose of the college, mm-hmm. as opposed to the purpose of international. And so what we will see Sam Dorman's a great example. He was a fabulous junior diver, went to the University of Miami, was pretty good, but it wasn't until his later college years that he won a national championship yeah. and then moved on to, to finaling at the Olympic trials and eventually going on and becoming an Olympic medalist. But they were able to use those years to develop with that goal in mind, where most colleges, their goal is score some points at a conference meet or whatever, and you just don't have the luxury to continue to take the time. So you take that kid that is the most ready. Mm. Yeah. 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 I I think it just spotlights like what you said with long-term goals for your businesses to be able to hopefully help fund someone to maybe train after they're done. And like what um, it sounds like Mission Viejo is doing, what did, uh, what did Grayson call it? The five rings fund, Aaron, where they're going to fund post-collegiate athletes. Like, That'll be awesome to see if we can keep continuing to get opportunities for post-collegiate athletes. Um, 
you know, Nick, just talk a little bit about some of your influences that have had a positive impact on your life and have helped get you kind of where you are. Yeah, absolutely. I was fortunate enough to have some really great mentors along the way, but you know, and I'm in my mid forties now, unfortunately, but, um, you know, the thing I think that made all of those people really impactful was that what they taught me wasn't just about diving or coaching or, you know, design or whatever field I was working in, but it was about life. Um, so Ray Porter, who was my first club coach and, um, one of my dearest friends, he coaches here in Indiana, still high school and club. And he taught me so, so, so very much about life when I was really impressionable and, and not like young, young, but I was 18, 20 coming into my own. And he really truly shaped who I was as an adult and gave me a different perspective on life. I learned a lot about diving from him and, and how to coach things and how to say things, but it was ultimately what I learned about life and then how I was able to apply that to my coaching and how I observed him working with athletes and that kind of stuff. Um, Buck Smith, another huge coaching mentor and, and, and close friend. And when I came into the Mac in 2013, he right away kind of took me under his wing. We had some shared connections and he's like, welcome. You're one of us. Like, what do you need? And was just fantastic. And, and he always said, like, I don't view you as competition. I hope you get good enough to push me to get better. And it wasn't like he was going to withhold information so that he could continue to dominate or something. And I really appreciated that. Um, and then I had a couple of bosses when I worked in newspapers that were not only were they both really exceptional journalists, but just really natural leaders. And I think sometimes we forget that leadership isn't necessarily should come from seniority or time in there. It's it's a different type of skill. Um, and sometimes we're like, well, they're really good at this job. Let's promote them and make them a boss. And it's like, well, but maybe that's not what they're good at. Um, but there was a moment that stuck with me. And, and so I was pretty young in my career. And, and these two guys pulled me into a little office to have a meeting. And they said, look, we noticed the quality of your work is slipping. And at the time, I was I was like a nationally award-winning visual journalist. And so you know, I was like, okay, I'm used to doing good work. And they said, your, your work's slipping. And I thought, uh Oh, I'm getting fired. Like, this is, this is not a good spot. And they paused for a second. And they said, we wanted to check on you and see if you were doing okay. Like we noticed that you're just not right, that something's off and we want to know how we can help. And that was the first time. And, and maybe one of the few times either for myself or just seeing other, you know, people that I work with where, I saw that an employer truly cared for and was concerned with their employee as a person and not just the results they could produce or the work that they did or whatever. And for me, it totally fundamentally changed how I viewed the working world in the idea of, you know, a means to an end and having a passion and, and who's most invested in the work and the the property and all that kind of stuff. And so it it really shaped me and changed my perspective to, to going, yeah, like this is not the most important thing in the world. And ultimately a couple of less than spectacular designs to a newspaper in 2017 or 20, you know, 2006 is not going to change the world. <laughs> and like what will? And so, uh, so that was really important. 
I feel like that's still pretty rare to this day. I mean, to have a boss or anybody kind of take a deeper dive like that. I mean, in our diving world, I'm, I'm 100% positive. There's thousands of coaches across the country that do that. Yes. But in the working world, like you said, that's like almost unheard of. Yeah. Well, and even in the coaching world beyond diving, how much of it is on how many wins do you have? How many losses do you have? Were you able to get some donors to come help us out or whatever? If not, you're fired rather than are you creating great young men and women out of this program or, you know, what are you doing beyond wins and losses? And, uh, you know, it's cutthroat. It's a business. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people get tossed by the wayside because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, before you hit this question, Aaron, I think you hit it on the head. We've been talking, Aaron and I have been talking a lot about Deion Sanders and some of the messaging that he gives and my favorite line from him recently. And it's not recent. It's, it's from Jackson state is you're going to give me an 18 year old boy and I'm going to give you a 21, 22 year old man. And I'm like, that's like a really good perspective to have of like, he wants to win. Like there's no doubt that that man does not like (laughs) losing, but he does have the perspective of, like we're looking four to six years from now of like, you need to be a productive member of society. So I think we need to talk about that more. I think that's really important. Yeah. And if you don't have the administration to support that, that says eight and four is okay when you're producing really good humans that get great jobs and give back to our program and everything else, then you're by the wayside. Uh, It's really hard to have that mentality and be 11 and one year after year as well. Yeah. You have to check out the SNL skit from the uh, weekend update with Deion Sanders. It was absolutely hilarious. I watched that just <laughs> moments ago. Um, Nick, can you talk about the NIL landscape and then how divers can market themselves to yeah. maybe take advantage of some opportunities? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, a huge area, ever-changing. It is one of the things that I really try to work with athletes on through Springboard Creative mainly to help them for life after college. But, you know, in their minds, the immediacy of it is looking at NIL. And there's a there's so many different areas of this. Um, you know, the first thing to think about is like, you're not all getting a Shadur Sanders deal or <laughs> yeah. Caitlin Clark or Livy Dunn. It just, it, that's not reality. Um, the second thing is that there's a couple types of, NIL deals in place. There is the, we, you know, a traditional like athlete sponsorship kind of thing, right? Like we believe Michael Jordan's going to be great and help us sell a lot of shoes. There is, I really believe in you. And I don't care if this makes me any money because I want to help you out. You're my nephew and I own an insurance agency or, or whatever it is, or it's some good PR and that's fine. And then there is the area that was never supposed to exist, which is the sort of pay for play recruiting collectives, the thing that is kind of ruining college sports right now and and NIL. Um, And and so for the majority of divers, because they just aren't going to have the reach that some of these others are going to have, they're not on national TV all the time. They're not, you know, whatever it is, they're going to fall more into that second category Um, and that, that you just need to be okay with that and understand that it's not always about money in, but money, not out. Yeah. 
So you might get a deal where you plug the Jiffy Lube in town and you get a free oil change. You didn't make a thousand dollars on that or fifty dollars, but you didn't spend fifty dollars. Yep. And you know that's still still worth something. Um, but the the biggest way that athletes can position themselves for this is by really getting themselves out there, showing who they are, showing their personality. Um, we talk about the three P's, which is presence, personality, and purpose. So while you're out there, you have to be out there, obviously, you know, fairly frequently interacting with followers and that kind of stuff. Um, you have to have a, a good personality. You can like have all the best information in the world and tell people about it all the time. But if you're a dud, you're a dud and like people aren't going to be interested. Um, and you have to have a purpose. Like there are very few people who can get away with their purpose being I look good in a swimsuit. And um, unfortunately, those people become popular, the ones that are. And so others look to that as as what they should be doing when really the, the ones that end up being the most successful in the long run above what they should be is because they have some purpose. They're telling their story about battling eating disorders as an athlete and why nutrition is so important to them now or you know, this struggle here, or really just showing, you know, what it's like to be a college athlete and, you know, how many college athletes are pre-med or pre-law or, you know, any of these things that are a little bit unique. Um, so getting out there and, and kind of hitting those three areas is going to be the main thing and making sure that you're being really authentic. And it's really easy to go to somebody and say, Hey, would you like to give me a deal? And they go, why? And you're like, well, cause you're adidas and they're like you go to a nike school how many pairs of adidas do you own well i've never worn adidas but i i heard you're offering deals and it's just it's so you know everybody can see right through it so i want to see that aaron has a dog and has fed his dog this particular dog food for 12 years and is so loyal to their product that then he gets a deal based off of posts with him and his dog and his loyalty to this dog food company and why why is that any their money not green right <laughs> um and, and being able to kind of help kids go through that process and understand where they are and i'm actually working with a, a post-grad athlete right now transitioning to trying to be a professional athlete and there were so many things that they never thought about because as an elite athlete you're in a bubble and there's yeah. very many times where you might not even be doing your own laundry, right? You put it on your laundry yeah. loop yeah. and the equipment manager does it. And then your meals are taken care of and whatever. And you weren't part of a student organization for your major and you didn't do an internship. And then all of a sudden you graduate and you're like, I don't know what my, my identity is beyond being an athlete. I don't know much about the industry I want to go into. I don't know how to be an adult. Um, because you lived in this bubble and, and the higher level athlete you are, the kind of smaller bubble you're in, um, very similar to the Chinese system where the higher up the athlete is, the less education they have, which is why the best Chinese athletes don't come to America because they can't get into the schools yeah. they don't have the second language. They, they literally are not bright enough. So you have to find that second tier that wasn't good enough to be an Olympian in China, but. <laughs> has yeah. enough education to be able to come here. So, um, you know, I think that's a little bit of where things are. 
No, I like that. And uh, one thing that I struggle with when I watch, uh, whether it's an influencer, if you want to call them that, or, or whoever online, is that authenticity part of like, I can tell when somebody has like a show voice or a show personality where if they turn the camera off or the recording stops, are they actually, do they actually sound like that? Do they actually talk like that? And I don't know, maybe it's just me being a hater of people online, but I just feel like there's so many people that put on this really, really big, cool show. And then as soon as the camera's off, I, I can't speak to it because I'm not there. I don't know what they're like when the camera's off, but I just get this like feeling of this vibe that it's like, man, they're doing everything for the show. I don't know how they're doing individually as a person. So I do enjoy seeing, you know, those stories of a struggle, which now is a passion. You know, Molly Carlson comes to mind. I mean, she does so much for tons of people around the country and she's like raw and authentic. And there are times I, I still think she has a little bit of a show voice that she puts on, but at the same time, I mean, she's got an awesome story. We'd love to have her on the pod one day. Yeah. So Nick, oh God. Sorry, Nick. Oh, I was gonna say that's a lot like businesses too, right? You can tell when someone is authentic and when they're not for the most part. And so if you go back to somebody like a BP oil that says, we really care about the environment as we're leaking a bajillion gallons of fuel <laughs> into the Gulf, right? Yeah. Like, no, no, but we have this initiative. And you're like, no, you, that's not really a thing you actually care about. Um, so it's the same thing with somebody else, right? Like, do you really care about this beauty product or this shoe brand or this supplement or whatever, or are you just trying to get paid? Yeah. Yeah. So Nick, when you sit down and kind of just evaluate, like what area do you think you've grown the most since the beginning of your diving career? It's, it's as a person, like there's, there's no doubt. Um, I am far from perfect. I will be the first to tell you that, but I, I really authentic, authentically try to approach everything with the best intentions and in trying to help others. I realize, and I'm very aware of how much I have gained from this sport which is why I still work with coaches and athletes in this, especially in a group that's, you know, someone said uh, you could get some business from this or that or whatever. And I said, Hey, if I wanted to make money, I wouldn't work with diving coaches. <laughs> You're right there. <laughs> it's not the most lucrative group, but it's for me, You're... it's the group I'm the most passionate about because I've, I've gotten the most from that group of people over my lifetime um, and so I would say like, I gained so much from that group, but none of it has to do with twisting or flipping. It's the relationships. It's the life skills I learned. It's the experiences I got to have. It's everything else. It's not about diving. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what's your favorite diving memory? I think it's going to go right along, along the lines with this. And so, um, there was a time I was, you know, maybe second year, third year coaching college. We just had a, an abysmal first day as a team at conference. And we had our team dinner and I went in to give a motivational speech to them. And I told the story about a friend of mine um, whose name was Sally Meyerhoff. And she was a distance runner and triathlete. And her thing was her saying was be relentlessly positive. And she was known for, she had red hair and always had them in braid and um, 
just like the greatest human you'd ever met. She would show up to like a local 5k dust everybody and then hang around and like talk to little girls and stuff. Um, and we had just had dinner before a marathon that I was, we were both getting ready to run. And she was talking about joining the American cancer society as a coach, which was something that I had helped do as well. And my wife was pregnant. And so we were all having these talks. And then the next day we have the race, Sally goes out, wins the marathon, um, ends up getting her card for the Ironman world championships. And like two months later, she got hit by a truck on a bike ride and died. And it was just like, you know, one of those life cut too short things, but just trying to think about how her view was always this, um, be relentlessly positive. And my, my daughter's little snuggly at the time, you know, cause she'd just been born. We named it Sally after her. And, um, so I told this story and I, I showed some pictures on my iPad and, you know, it was very emotional for me. So we get through the next day, divers do decent in prelims. We have finals that night or whatever. And I'm on deck and I look over, my kids come out to get stretched. And one of my girls walks out in knee high pink socks, bright pink socks. And I just lost it. I started bawling right there on the deck and she started crying. We had this really special moment and she's like, I just happened to have these in my bag and the story resonated and she went out and killed it. And I had one of the best lists she'd ever had. But for me, it was one of those moments where it was just like, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. And something I said mattered. Yeah. And it wasn't about me. It was obviously about, about someone else. But um, I look back on, on my whole career and, you know, there's lots of great moments, but to me, that's one of those things that stood out and it wasn't about the diving at that time. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's funny you say that we've said it on this podcast. I say it to my athletes all the time. Even when you look back as an athlete, typically the things you remember aren't actually like diving things. Like I remember Christmas training. Like I remember us all eating meals together. Like those are the things you remember. And so we continue to hear those stories over and over when we ask what's your favorite diving memory. And more often than not, it's not even diving. And so thanks for sharing that story. That was, that was a good. Wow. I like that one too. Um, All right, Nick, a little more lighthearted here. Favorite food. I'm a carbs guy. Uh, Give me all of the bread. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Favorite music. I'm old. So uh, 90s alternative is probably my, my go-to. Nice. Any uh, band in particular? Um, I don't know. I, I probably big Pearl jam Nirvana, obviously that led to loving Foo Fighters. Um, yep. I, I really liked smashing pumpkins. That's probably yep. hate, but again, some of it is just about the right song coming out at the right time when yeah. you're age and it ties to a moment or something like that. Um, so, you know, those are ones that probably resonate. And then one of my favorite bands of all time, who's, who's less in the, the grunge group, uh, is gin blossoms. Okay. And, and more about just hitting me at the right time of, of, you know, having an impact, but I, uh, I think I still have smashing pumpkins on a couple, a couple other songs on our practice playlist. So that one hit me good. All right. Pepe. Yeah. And Hey, listen, oh, don't be too embarrassed. Heath, Heath absolutely loves Nickelback. So don't be embarrassed. Yes. No Creed. 
That's the <laughs> that's the move. Creed. We listen to that on the on the uh on the playlist and like arms wide open comes on. And I just walk around with my arms spread out. Dude, I actually love Creed. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a 12 year old daughter, so it's pretty much Taylor Swift on repeat nonstop in my life. In my nice. house, in my car, everywhere. So uh, I bet I to find a break when I'm in the office. I bet nice. she's been a Chiefs fan for life too. Now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fun fact that some that very few people know about you. Uh, I am really into logic puzzles. Mm-hmm. So, like those little wooden or bamboo ones where you have to yep. build the shape or untangle the metal, whatever thing. Nice. Uh, I have a bunch of those around my office uh stuff like that on my phone i'm really into escape the room kind of stuff um it just that's the way my brain works so i have kind of an addiction to those cool all right we'll get into our signature questions now Uh, we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing more of an opportunity for growth so from that perspective what would you say your favorite failure is or best opportunity for growth I knew this question was coming and I've been thinking on it and you hear everybody say it and it's like, man, I feel like my whole life was a failure that <laughs> um, because in some ways it is right. Like, yeah, you're, you're trying to learn from every single thing. Um, but I think one that stands out to me that I kept kind of coming back to was my very first year coaching college. And we just absolutely, dropped the ball for lack of a better word at the conference championships we were ready we looked better each practice session at the meet and then the lights came on and we just choked and we didn't score a single point and I was like I'm gonna lose my job like this I I had all these high hopes and I told them I could you know make these kids into divers and everything and I was sitting down on the couch in the lobby at the hotel and my athletes came down and I said, you know, since we got back to the hotel, I've been in my room, like going through in my brain, every single practice, I went back through all of my documents. Like, where did we go wrong? What did, did I not train right? Where did I drop the ball in preparation? And one of the girls said, it's not your fault. We're the ones that do the diving. And another one said, and I never want to feel like this again. And when I tell you we got back to work, like they had a a week off maybe while the guys competed and those girls were back in and they were doing in their spring training, you know, when you're supposed to have eight hours and then you can do voluntary, they were putting in 18 to 20 hours a week, every week in spring training, because they just were so motivated and everybody was on the same page. And it was like, it took that failure that moment of realizing like, I can't get there by just coasting um, to get better. And so that was one that kind of stood out to me. Cool. Yeah. I love that one. And then uh, my next one here, what are you doing to improve to get to the next level? So I, I guess I'll look at that from a business standpoint. I am not much of a reader partially because of my ADHD. It's really hard to focus on stuff, but the things that I do read are like business books, self-help books, that kind of stuff in that yep. arena. Um, we were just on vacation for fall break with the kids. And I picked up a couple of new books um, to kind of get me motivation. And so when I'm trying to get stuff there, it's a lot of going to those kinds of books, 
and I read a ton of professional research, which is like the least exciting thing ever to read. If you've ever gone to grad school or something like that, you oh, it's know, horrible. There's, there's nothing exciting about reading, you know, 17 pages of, of somebody's research, but I'm able to gather that information and distill it down and then help my clients where you guys know, as coaches, you have a busy life. You just, you don't have the time for all that stuff. So when someone in your position comes to me and says, Hey, we're trying to help our club get to the next level. We need to do this thing. Like, what are we missing? I can come in with the information that they just won't have the time to go find. And I can say, Hey, I went through this 75 page report from this agency on youth sports in America, or here's what's going on in Norway. That's really successful. And whatever those things are, or here's what, um, I literally just went through a whole uh, research on American teens and their preferences, right? So when you're trying to understand how to market to get a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old into your sport or into joining your team, it's understanding what platforms they're using the most for social media, what stores they shop at, what music, all those things matter when you're trying to figure out how to cater to them. So um, that's probably the thing I do the most of to get to the next level now. Cool. Yeah. That teenager thing, I, I imagine it's a lot of using the word lit and like, you know, <laughs> <sick>. <laughs> I, think the big, I think the big one now is like mid every, every now yeah, and then I try mid, to, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I throw that one out to my athletes every now and then at a, at a meet, whenever like the dive doesn't go the best. I'm like, I think the kids call that mid now. So, and they're like, so they learned, lose it. They lose it. I learned, I learned a new one literally this weekend. So if something is like giving off vibes right instead of like saying vibes they just say oh it's giving yes that situation so the the word the new word is giving and uh you know i'm i'm sure there's gonna be a few teenagers listening like oh my gosh these guys are so old and so dumb it's a great way to annoy my daughter by trying to use all that (laughs) slang in one sentence and it's amazing she just storms off but if i had a dollar for every time my 12 year old daughter called me girl (laughs) girl be real be so for real and i'm like well i'm not a girl second of all i'm dad you can call me dad (laughs) or or my my favorite fr right for real for real yeah Yeah. Uh, my favorite right now too is i've done it for years it's like i will on purpose call things like the twitters or the facebook yes (laughs) and like my athletes will be like what is going and like they don't realize that i'm just doing it as a joke and it's like they're like, dude, coach is so old. He calls it the Twitters. I'm or cringing like the- right now. I have such <laughs> yeah. an embarrassment, Heath. I just I merge them together too. Sometimes he yes. so you call it yes. like the snap Insta book. face. I call it yes. Insta face. <laughs> Insta face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I worked with a lady who once referred to our email system as the Google, and nice. I was like, gosh, we're gonna have to. I gotta leave here. <laughs> that lady is my. That lady is my spirit animal. You <laughs> want. That leads right into this one from Katie from Pitt. She wants to know what your spirit animal is, Nick. Man, I I saw that and I was like, I have no clue. Like, I know my son, his spirit animal is a shaggy dog, like head out the window, just <laughs> getting into trouble. Like, that's him. I don't know, like, so clearly what mine is. I would think it's probably like a monkey because i'm a little hyper i'm a little all over the place um but like i'm kind of humany i like to you know i'll give you a hug but i'm also like you know 
just all over the place a little bit. So fair enough. That works. Uh, finally, you know, within our sport, what's your why? This is great. And I think it's so interesting because for so long, I knew what my why was as a coach. I had it written down. It was on deck, like it was up on the wall. Everybody knew it. And, you know, when you transition out of that environment and that lifestyle, something changes, right? Because I'm not impacting people the same way. Um, So I don't know if I have it as refined now as I used to, but I definitely feel like it's the sentiment is still to give back and try to lift other people up. And I tell folks like, I'm not coaching anymore. And even when I was, I might get to impact, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 kids a year. But now I want to help all these other coaches and programs around the country so that they can impact six, eight, 10, 12 kids a year, or maybe bring in that many more. And so I'm still able to sort of try to help impact the youth and and show them the positives of our sport and that kind of yeah. stuff by helping others to be able to help them. Yeah. Indirectly. I think it's just that, that well, like it's like multiplying, like you help one person, but then if they help more, that's, it's just making that positive impact greater. Um, exactly. All right. all right, Nick, favorite drill. All right. I came up with this one um, when I was coaching college and I actually really like it. So uh, not to like toot my horn, but it, it was something that we really found effective. Um, and it's an overspeed drill. We called it hand speed for your come outs. And so essentially what we would do is you put like a panel mat down however many feet away from the wall or something. And we would use stretch cords. So just like you would see swimmers, they would do overspeed training where you're pulling them the length of the pool with the stretch cord and they go faster than normal. We would do that, but you would start with your hands down and you're holding this stretch cord on like on a handle really stretched out. And then you would use that resistance. And then when you released and went to, you know, shoot your hands through midline, that bungee would accelerate them. And the reason we started doing this was because we realized how much stuff was like really broken down drill. And it was just a a piece that like, they were always kind of late or if you were late, then you cheated it. And so we started doing that to really feel what it was like to just rip through midline. And I had really great success with it um, for being just a, a really simple drill and letting the kids just learn to, to whip their hands through that midline. I really like that one. I read that and I'm like, Ooh, I'm doing that tomorrow with my kids. Cause I have a boy who's struggling getting his hands through on two Oh five, three Oh five on one meter. And I'm like, that's going to help him so much. And you can do it the other way too. Like you can give it the resistance. It actually like to just a tangent. It reminded me of Mark Cahalan from Akron and American flyers. He, uh, I was telling him I was having issues with something and he goes, you know, the thing I love doing is I just like creating like the negative force of what you're struggling with. Like if an athlete's leaning in too much, I put a, cord around their back and I almost try to pull them in so that way they have to pull back against the cord and he's like it fixes a lot of issues and I'm like uh, like he just thinks outside the box and I'm like I really appreciate that a lot like because I don't think a lot of people's brains will work like that like taking one piece of cord and being like oh look at all the different ways I can use this so I really like that one all right best advice given and or received all right I this is my wheelhouse here it's where some of my passion is uh certainly as a coach so I've got a few I'm going to share if you'll bear with me, uh, yeah, you're the good. first, the first is 
do everything with purpose. So my kids just took to it. They made an acronym, the DEWP, and they had it on shirts and hats and stuff. And they really ran with it. But the whole idea is that it doesn't just apply to what you're doing in diving or whatever, that it's everything in life, whether it's your sport, your homework, your relationship, you've got to do everything with purpose. And that literally means everything. And so we talked a lot about if you're just stretching during warm up, are you being really mindful about what the purpose of yeah. that stretch is? Or are you just going through the motions because you know every day you're supposed to do these 10 stretches or whatever? If you're doing a rip swim drill, are you just flicking your hands because you're trying to get done and get into the water? Or are you concentrating on all the components from you know where you're laying that index finger across the bottom hand to um, you know where your chin position is to how hard you flick or you know all those kinds of things? So um, you know, really trying to focus on that. And again, like, how do you interact with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your professors? Or when you're doing homework, are you just trying to get it done to turn in for points? Or are you trying to do it to learn something so you're better prepared for the test or or life or whatever? So do everything with purpose. Yeah. Um, my second is it's not hard, it's necessary. And we use this a lot it's really easy to get caught up in the the vibe as a college kid and just being like, oh, this is so hard. I don't want to do this or whatever, especially as an athlete and you're stuck in that grind. Um, but much like school, we would just say it's not hard. It's necessary. Yep. If you want to get a job, it's necessary to get the education. If you want to succeed in this sport, it's not this workout's not hard. It's necessary for you to reach your goals. Yep. And so we literally made it where you were not allowed to say the word hard on deck. And if you did, we would say, I'm sorry, it's what? It's what? Yeah. It's, it's necessary. And, you know, and it making them stop and thinking like, okay, that's right. I have to do this. It's not just, you know, there's, there's purpose to it. I think uh, we can add mid to that too. It's, it's, yes. it's not mid. It's necessary. <laughs> um, and, and so I think that's a great one as a coach too, to share with your athletes and, and a way to remind them. Um, and even in, you know, like I said, in life, in work, like, oh, this going through all these emails is a pain, right? Like, no, it's necessary if you want to do this thing. So, and then the last one is don't chase the ghost. And this is really geared toward particularly kids who, either are coming out of an injury or, you know, like young girls, maybe the difference between being 14 and 20 and how their bodies have changed. Yeah. And there's a lot of this idea of kind of the what if, well, if I didn't get injured and miss a year, if I didn't get mono, if I hadn't blah, 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 I could do this. If my body hadn't changed when I was 14, I could do this. And now I can't. And as long as I, and you can get really caught up in trying to achieve something again that never happened in the first place. Yeah. And so when we say don't chase the ghost, that's a ghost. It's it's mythical. It never yeah. exists. Don't chase that thing that wasn't there because you can't go back and change that. So rather than saying, no, you can't change the past. I mean, like, thanks, coach. I've heard that. <laughs> giving them something different that they can try to wrap their mind around and just being like, don't chase that ghost. There's no point. It yep. doesn't exist. Focus on this thing. So um, those are a couple that I really liked. Yeah, I, I really like the last one. I just there's so many things you can just apply that to. And I think it's really effective. All right, who would you like to hear us interview next? 
Man, there's so many good people, but I'm actually going to throw out Mark Briggs. He is the head coach at ASU and Sun Devil Divers. And he's got a really cool story, I think, on how he came to being a Division One diver because he transferred in long before, you know, transferring was really the thing to do. Um, and sort of the pressure he felt to perform, to get his scholarship so he could stay in school and that sort of thing. And being one of those first people in that, next generation under Mark Bradshaw to kind of help turn the the ASU program back around. Yeah. And now he's the coach there. And, you know, as a club coach, he's developed some really, really incredible divers, mm -hmm. uh, including Sam Dorman, who obviously went on to win a silver medal in Rio. So mm -hmm. he's got just some great insights and great stories, I think. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And then what question are we not asking that we should be? It's it's a good question. Um, uh, we I, stole it. We stole it from Doctor Rob Bell. We heard. Right. I hear him ask that on every podcast, and I'm like, oh, that's a good one. So I don't know that this is necessarily one you should be asking, but it's one that people don't often. And I used it a lot in recruiting and doing interviews and working with um, athletes on you know building their brands and understanding who they are. Which is, if someone was going to set you up on a blind date what your your friends what would they tell people about you oh yeah i, I like that one that's really cool because like it, it kind of makes you think not only about yourself but like how you think other people perceive you and yep. so it's not just oh well he's got glasses and his hair is kind of long and he's like whatever it's he's a really great person he's kind he's like what are the other qualities he's yeah. terrible he tells terrible jokes or like whatever the thing Facts. is and then you start to go, oh, yeah, that's kind of who I am. So I think it's just an interesting way to explore uh, explaining who you are. Yeah, it's like ex ex exploring other people's perception of you, or at least what you think right. their perception. Your uh, perception yeah. of their perception. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird like out of body, yes. Um, no, so before we go, um, Nick, once again, thank you so much. Maybe uh maybe with the new website we can convince Nick to come out of a journalistic retirement and write an article <laughs> on something. Actually, one of the things we didn't touch on it on this, but uh people should definitely I believe you have it on your Instagram, is the future of an NCA. I actually really enjoyed that that uh that video you did, I think probably about a year, year and a half ago over the summer. I really enjoyed that. Um so people should definitely go check that out on your Instagram. Um, I think it was a really interesting take on it. And I think you were very, very, very spot on with where we look at where things are right now. Yeah. So let's uh, see uh, where they go in the future now with all the yeah. conference mergers and everything. So yeah, might need to so, do another one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yes, once again, just thank you so much, Nick. Really appreciate your time. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. I just want to see you keep making a positive impact for young, young athletes in our sport. You're helping clubs around the country. You're impacting way more than that original six to eight people you wanted to originally impact. So just keep doing your thing. Um, everyone get on over to the website, check it out. We will post, uh, this gra the graphic tomorrow on the website as well. And, uh, just keep your eyes peeled for some more stuff coming there. But, uh, from me, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. And if you're out there listening, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Um, another sponsor, Cowing Robards, do online stores. So if you'd like an example of that, just check out divingpod.itemorder.com. Enter divepod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. 
Um, the other place too is divingpod.com. That is our website. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned a couple of times on this episode, but um, yeah, Nick, again, great to uh, put a face to a name and have an awesome conversation tonight. So we appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thanks guys. All right. We will see you next time.